Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. Begins like this, when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, being Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, Now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, this child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we do pray that you would be here in this passage on this day. May we hear from you and you alone. And I pray that the words of my mouth, meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to begin today by mentioning something that may not be all that interesting to you. Um, This is how they told us to, uh, taught us at seminary to begin sermons. Uh, And so it may not be all that interesting to you, but it's just about the ritual. So we have verse 21 that uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, and then uh, the first few verses of this passage. And they all have to do with the rituals. And in some way there's some confusion about which rituals exactly Luke is talking about. Um, One of those is Mary going back in to be blessed. Um, And typically, um, after about 40 days... Uh, you would go in for a purification rite. And what this would do was a couple of things. For one, it would allow you to to regain entrance into the temple, to begin to worship again as the mother. Um, But it also uh, marked kind of a rite of passage after a a significant event. And obviously a birth is a significant event. And so you have this going on. Uh, You also, of course, had the circumcision going uh, happening. And uh, Pastor Stan made this comment in the video this week um, that apparently at day eight, when they did the circumcision, 
circumcision uh, was also when you have your greatest amount of, of vitamin K, which allows for uh, coagulation and for clotting, uh, which would have helped that procedure, which is just kind of fascinating to see long ago uh, the faith and how it kind of lined up with science in this way. It's just kind of a fascinating thing. Uh, but there was also, as a part of this ritual, a sense of dedication as the firstborn, much like in 1 Samuel with, with Hannah and Samuel. And so you have all of these things going on. And one of the significant parts of this, according to Luke, is just this fact that, that the family continues to go about the rituals of their worship in the Jewish faith, right? So they've not moved off of that. They continues to kind of be a very uh, a righteous family, as we, as, we, as we heard in the first uh, chapter of Luke. The other significant thing to notice here is the sacrifice. The sacrifice was a turtle dove or a pigeon, and, and, and that was the sacrifice of the poor, if you were poor, that's what you would sacrifice. You could sacrifice other things if you had more wealth. But this reminds us of what we said last week, which is that though Jesus could have been born anywhere, it was with great intentionality that he was born with the poor. He identifies with the poor, which is a reminder to us as the church that we are called to identify with the poor. And so we have all of this kind of beginning part coming on. And then we're introduced to two people, to Simeon and to Anna. Now, I want to say something about each of these folks. One of the things that we may not notice in this day and age, in 2022, is the fact that Anna was mentioned at all is really quite remarkable. Because, of course, in that culture, in that time, and in that place, uh, most women would not have been mentioned. Luke could have easily just brought up Simeon, but he doesn't. He brings up Anna. He wants us to know that Anna has a significant role in the life and the beginning of Jesus. And of course, women will continue to have a significant role in the life of Jesus all the way up until the day of resurrection, when it's the women, of course, who are going to be close to Jesus. One of the things that N.T. Wright says is that by the time you get to the end of the second chapter, you've seen a diverse amount of folks. We've seen young and old, male and female, single and married. And there is this important notion that all of us have some place to identify in the story of Jesus. That all of us, by mentioning these different folks, that all of us are invited into the story of Jesus. Now the second thing I want to mention about these two is that both of them are likely old. Now we know for sure that Anna was old. She is great of age, Luke tells us. And scholars would suggest that it's very likely that Simeon is also quite old, just inferring from the way Luke describes it, that he's been uh, the sense of waiting and waiting, and now we can finally die. And so there's this, this critical notion of just how, how close he perhaps was getting to passing away. And so you have these older folks that are a part of this faith community. And one of the things to keep in mind when it comes to the stories of old is that these aren't, by and large, kind of a written tradition. It's much more of an oral tradition, right? These stories are passed on verbally again and again and again. It was with the older folks, uh, it's been said, that they were the, the repositories of tradition and wisdom, right? They knew the stories, and, and most people couldn't read, so they didn't read the stories. No, no, no. It was the older generation that was telling them the stories. Stories. It was the older generation that was doing that. And something else that someone has said that I love is this, it says this. It says that hope is always joined 
to memory. That hope is always joined to memory. What does that mean? It means a sense that Simeon and Anna, who have seen much over their years, who have experienced much over their years, struggles and joys, challenges and things that would bring happiness, all those things, it is out of those things and seeing the Lord in the midst of all of those things and all of that waiting, lo, those many years, that all of a sudden now they can point to the active presence of Jesus right there and to the hope of this Jesus in the days ahead. Now, I think that's really significant. I know that we talked about uh, older folks, uh, when was this, back in the summer in Ecclesiastes, but I think we can talk about our seasoned saints once again. Is that okay? Should we do a vote? We're good? Okay. I think it's this great reminder of the critical nature of different generations, but also the critical nature of our older, our seasoned saints who have all of this experience and who should have, if they are reflective enough, to be able to see where the Lord has been with them through the past to then be able to see the hope for the future. Now, let me also be clear, that takes a real decision. Because there's a couple things that I've seen at times that older folks can do. Sometimes, right, they've come to me over the years at different churches I've served, and they said, well, I just don't know if I have anything to offer anymore. There's a sense of sadness, and I get it. You know, physically, they may not be able to do what they once did. Energetically, they may not have as much as they once did, right? So there's that, that sense that sometimes that's a big hurdle. The other hurdle that I sometimes see is, is a fear of the present and the future, you look at younger folks and you think, is this as good as it gets? And there can oftentimes be a great sense of fear and anxiety. And you think, oh no, what's, gonna, what's going to happen? And it's easy to give in to that. But with Simeon and Anna, what you begin to see is that if we, as we age, can continue to reflect in these moments of waiting. Remember, both of them have been waiting can begin to see the places in your own life where God has been at work. And if God could be at work with you, God could be at work with anyone, right? And to begin to see the gift it is to feed into the younger generations, to be able to start to say, I see Jesus in you. I see hope in you. Now, we have lots of people at ZPC. I've said this before. Lots of our seasoned saints who are amazing at that. I could go and begin to give a litany of people. I'm not going to do. In fact, today I just want to mention one, and that's Marilyn Jarrett. Marilyn Jarrett, just a couple weeks ago, turned 95 years old. She's seen a lot of sunrises and a lot of sunsets, right? And she's one of the most faithful people here. She's, she's here at worship more than I am, which I know some of you are saying, well, that's not saying that much, but she is. But Marilyn, and we don't need to get into the, the you know, ups and downs of, of, of her life, you know, but after 95 years, all of us have lots of challenges and lots of good things. But I'm amazed when I see her and when she comes in, oftentimes rolled in in a wheelchair, and I am here to tell you that if you lean down close to her and listen to her, it is almost impossible for you not to stand back up with more hope than you did when you first leaned down. 
Because Marilyn, she begins to talk to you, and you can see she's not jumping up and down, she's not raising her voice, but you can see in her affect the joy that she has. You can see the encouragement, you feel the encouragement when you sit down, when you lean down, and when you listen to what she has to say. It is remarkably incredible, and I want you to know that even just me, that my life has been changed because of the ways in which she seems to notice Jesus in me. It is a remarkable encouragement almost every single time that I get to speak with her. This is a gift that almost any of us can give. Now, I was also going to mention another couple, not from this church, but from my family. A couple named Joy and Floyd, and I met them. Uh, they were my, my mom's first cousin, Joy is. And I uh, really got to know them when I was between 9 and 11 years old when we lived in Washington State. Uh, and that was a, uh, the time, as I've shared before, when my parents were going through a divorce. And in the midst of all of that, this unsteadiness, this unknowing about the future, there were Joy and Floyd, right? This, and they were steady, st- stable, and plodding. I mean, they just were the sense of consistency that I need. And one of the great things to know about them is, is that she had already been divorced and, and that he was a widower, right? So they had lived through these very difficult moments. And they were this incredible encouragement to me. And I was thinking about this uh, over the last couple of days and just what a gift this older generation was to me. And then I remembered this. Yes, yesterday, literally yesterday, I started doing math. Not, I, I mean, I've done math for longer than just yesterday, but I started doing the math on this. And I realized that when I first met Joy, she was about three or four years older than I am right now. I thought she was ancient. <laughs> now she's 91. But it was this incredible reminder yet again to me that it isn't so much that you've got to wait till you get to your 70s or 80s or 90s, but those in their 50s and can, can have a remarkable ministry to those in their 40s. Those in their 40s can have a remarkable ministry to those in their 30s, the 30s to the 20s, right? In fact, sometimes some of my wife's greatest relationships, most meaningful ones, are those who are about a half a generation ahead, about 15 years. In fact, perhaps in January, we're going to have a home group that's really started by those who are about a half a generation older than, than the rest. It is this incredible gift, right? This is the importance of community because when you begin to live life, you begin to see Jesus. And when you begin to see Jesus in your own life, If you're paying attention, you are able to begin to see it in others. And that gives hope to those who may be struggling, to those who may be wondering, well, what's in the next decade? You have a remarkable gift to give hope, just like Simeon and Anna. So you have this great two people, right? This one-two punch. Simeon, who's been waiting and waiting, he goes up to Joseph and Mary And he then praises God. He says this, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace. According to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. It's this remarkable scene. and They are amazed. People People get weird about the fact that Joseph and Mary are amazed that he said all these wonderful things about this baby. And again, I, I, I don't want to take a lot of time to say this, but just to mention Joseph and Mary, they were very ordinary people. Okay. And so, so, so no matter what, right, you could say, well, they had this angel and then they had these shepherds, right? Why don't they just believe? 
Well, it doesn't really matter how clear you are at one moment. When you are going through struggles or when you see the ordinariness of a baby who's still doing all those things that a normal baby does, it's hard to believe that this baby, as we said a few weeks ago, is really going to be the Messiah. Right? I've had these moments in my own life where I felt really clear about something. Oh my goodness, this is a sign. I've not had a lot of them, but I've had a few of these moments. But it doesn't take much for you to have something that kind of interrupts that. Something you know, where you begin to get down about it or whatnot, where it's really easy to begin to give up. And yet, and yet there are then these continual reminders. No, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. And it's this beautiful scene, right? Think about this. There's Simeon. He's holding, he's been waiting for this baby. He's holding this child up. He's saying, this is a salvation. This is hope for the future. You see, if we were writing this script, you know what we would do? At that moment, we'd have this heartwarming song begin to play. The curtains would come down. The script, the end. It would all be wonderful and fantastic, except for the fact that Simeon decides he's not yet done. He's got more to say. And I get a sense that Simeon then, as he continues to talk, that, that Mary's kind of leaning in again, you know, to hear what, what else can Simeon say? I mean, this is incredible. This Jesus, it's remarkable. And so he says this. He says, this child, what, is destined, yes, for the falling and the rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. What? This is the moment, as I imagine it, when Simeon's daughter or son comes in and grabs him and says, sorry, he just, sometimes he just talks and just kind of, you know, just kind of, just kind of brings it. But just remember the first part. Don't remember that last part. And just kind of carries him away, right? I mean, why in the world does he continue in this way? Frederick Beekner, uh, who just recently passed away, he, he gives this kind of little, little wee uh, fictional account of this. Uh, it's a little bit long, not too bad, just a couple of paragraphs, but I want you to hear it. He says, Jesus was still in diapers when his parents brought him to the temple of Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as the custom was and offer a sacrifice. And that's when old Simeon spotted him. Years before, he'd been told he wouldn't die till he'd seen the Messiah with his own two eyes. And time was running out. And when the moment finally came, one look through his cataract lenses was all it took. He asked if it would be all right to hold the baby in his arms, and they told him to go ahead, but be careful not to drop him. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation, he said, the baby playing with the fringes of his beard. The parents were pleased as punch, and so he, ple he blessed them too for good measure. Then something about the mother stopped him, and his expression changed. And what he saw in her face was a long way off, but it was there so plainly he could not pretend. A sword will pierce through your soul, he said. He would have rather bitten off his tongue than said it, but in that holy place he felt he had no choice. Then he handed her back the baby and departed in something less than the perfect peace he dreamed of all the long years of his waiting. 
Now again, this is Beekner, just imaginatively thinking through this, but I think in many ways it carries the emotion of that moment. This was perhaps not what he wanted to say, not what Mary wanted to hear, not what they wanted to think about, about the reality that this great hope of Jesus, that it was also going to be the rise and the fall of many, and that it would pierce Mary's soul. We talked about the fact that when Mary said yes to the angel, that she likely did not realize all that she was saying yes to. But the truth, of course, is this. It's not just for Mary to whom this prophecy is given. The truth is this prophecy is given to all of those who long to follow Jesus. It seems strange, perhaps. It seems like what we want is just that hallmark first part, that this is really the hope. But perhaps, actually, the hope really only comes when we are willing to also fully embrace the second part of what Simeon said to Mary. What do I mean by that? Well, one of the things that Simeon says, of course, is that they will, that Jesus will reveal the inner thoughts of others. Inner thoughts, uh, when it comes to Luke, are almost always not good thoughts. They're bad thoughts. They're, they're sinful thoughts. They're broken thoughts. You know, you don't oftentimes think about it when it comes to Jesus being the light of the world. We usually, when we think about Jesus being the light of the world, we just say, oh, that's great. We love light. We're drawn to the light like a moth to a candle, right? We love light. But you know, of course, what happens is that the closer you get to the light, the more the darker parts within us that we like to hide are revealed. The more the broken parts within us begin to be exposed, and the truth, of course, is that while we might think that we like the light, the truth, of course, is the closer we get to that and the more that we begin to see the sin and brokenness within us that we oftentimes hide from others and even from ourselves, it becomes more and more painful. And the truth, of course, is, is that you have a choice at that very moment. Do you decide to keep walking towards that light of Jesus or do you decide Side, and it's so easy to do to simply flee away, to go back to the darkness because it is simply too painful to be able to acknowledge our own brokenness. But the truth is that real hope only comes when you have gone through the sword that pierces our soul by being honest. You see, the truth is it is only when we can fully acknowledge our sin that then Jesus is able to forgive us, that then we're able to experience this grace, that then we realize that just because this is how things have always been does not mean that this is how things always have to be. There is this incredible gift, but it is a painful gift of fully acknowledging our sin and our brokenness. But once we do so, that's when we begin to experience hope. The most hopeless people in our world are those who have an inability to acknowledge their own sin and brokenness. And as we've said so many times, this is a weird place the church is because we are a place that invites you not to hide your struggles, but to bring them and to offer them up 
to God in front of our brothers and sisters in Christ in community. Of course, the other aspect of this to which Simeon speaks is the fact that to follow Jesus, as Mary will do, means that at some point she is going to have to begin to suffer, that there will be a cost, right? We've talked about this, about the relationships that we have with Jesus and the reality that in any relationship you have, that the deeper the relationship, the more it will cost you, the more it will be a sacrifice to you. And so that's what we see going on in this particular situation. We see him, her following, and the longer she follows, the more she will have to sacrifice. And that is not always easy. Earlier this week, I was, um, I was with some pastor friends. We've met for maybe the last seven or eight years, and so I was meeting uh, with them. And one of those is a, a guy named Joel. I've talked about him before. He pastored not, uh, a little ways away from me in, in the state of Illinois back in the uh, 2005 to 2011. And, and in 2011, he decided that he um, didn't want to be a pastor anymore, per se, not like he had been. He wanted to move to Denver with himself and his three, at that point, kind of youngerish kids. And they were just going to move into a neighborhood, and he was just going to start saying, what kind of a, a faith community can we start in this smaller way and, and, and just right within this neighborhood, right? It was this kind of radical call that he had. I, I tipped my hat to him, but I did not follow him. I said, God be with you, and I'll be praying for you. And so, so he went, and, and in the years that followed, he would tell these kind of remarkable stories, right? I mean, I mean it began to be this place where people who, who would never step foot in a church or those who had but had been burned uh, would come in. And his and his wife and, his, and their three kids, uh, their hospitality was incredible. And they would, they would be so hospitable that people would come and they would begin to do some of these things. They became very honest, right? I mean, this community would start to just really share what was going on. And they began to see Jesus bubble up. I mean, these stories, these were stories that you want to write in a book. I mean, I'd be with them on the phone and I would just think, man, that's amazing. Joel, you're doing incredible things and it was wonderful. But the closer you got to Joel, right, the more you kind of leaned in, perhaps like Mary with Simeon, you would also begin to hear some of the other parts of the story. Right, like he had to actually make a living. And you may not know this, but pastors did not have very many transferable skills. That hurts, Claude. <laughs> and so he began to dumpster dive. Literally, he began to dumpster dive and find old furniture. And then he, he could at least do some things with that. He could refinish it. And he began to find other things. And so they had different little antique shops around that he would go and distribute his wares. And they, they kept kind of picking up things from time to time, uh, a little, little odd jobs and stuff. But it was clear when I was talking to him that this was a constant point of stress and, and then I continued to talk to him and he talked about some of the frustration the people that had kind of joined and then they then they went away and then the other people that came and how do you kind of get everybody together on the same page and and then we continue to talk, and, and in fact, even just uh, when we were together earlier this week, we, we were talking about retirement. None of us are that close to retirement, but you know, sometimes you got a dream, and so we were just talking about retirement, and, 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 and he was like, you look, man, I'm like 52 now, and I, I haven't hardly, I have hardly any money set aside now. And, and then we kept talking, and, 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 and just, to, you know, within the last couple of years, he actually had to stop the ministry because he just needed it wasn't it wasn't you know enough to, to support him and he couldn't kind of keep doing things he had kids now in college so so he went back to the pastorate which he loves please hear me if anyone's at his church and they happen to come upon us he loves working with you 
but it's the disappointment, right? It's a disappointment of this fact that you have all of these great plans, right? All of this wonderful thing, this is what it is. And, and, and throughout this time, I've noticed from time to time, I've been able to do, because he, he, he would question at times, did we hear God right? Why is this not working exactly like I, like I hoped and, and imagined and prayed? And it was all of this kind of reality, right? But this is, this is both sides of this, right? There's this side that we want to sacrifice and we want to just lift up these great stories that everything just works perfectly. And oh, it's just wonderful, hunky-dory. This is Hallmark, but it's not real. And if you want to follow Jesus and you want to begin to experience the depth and the richness of that and the love of that, then you have to be willing to sacrifice and it will be costly at times. But you see, what we have to remember is this that when Simeon held up this baby, and when Simeon looked at Mary, she did not say, your soul is going to be pierced, Mary, because he is just so cute and cuddly. No. Her soul would be pierced because this child was going to change the world forever. Because this child was going to say, hey, come confess in front of me. Baptize. Let's walk this journey together. This child was going to expose the inner thoughts. This child was going to say, if you follow me, there will be a cross that you have to carry. But for those who are willing to sacrifice and to wait and to follow and to confess, there is a remarkable gift. As First Timothy says, you begin to discover life that really is life. You see, several times over this earlier week when I was with Joel and we were amongst this group of pastors, I would watch him. And it's going to be hard for me to describe. But they would begin to talk and we would kind of, each of us had a turn to just kind of talk about what's going on personally, church, all these things. But here's the thing about Joel. Joel, as he would continue to have these conversations, you could just see him working. And Joel has this remarkable opportunity. I had never seen it quite like this before. To be able to look and to see where one of these pastors may have been missing it, but where God was at work, where Jesus was, and this remarkable ability to actually then begin to speak words of hope in the midst of that. And it was fascinating to see Joel just kind of sit back. And by the time this pastor had gotten through kind of having this conversation, you should see the pastor, the, the affect had just completely changed. There was this hope. I mean, they weren't jumping up and down, but you could just begin to see how life had begun to fill up. And as I was thinking about that on the very last day, I had a moment to talk with Joel one-on-one, -on -one. and I said to him, Joel, I don't know what else you're going to do in the future, but here's what I do know. It has to almost always include what you're doing right now, because you can't even know the difference you are making by this ability to see Jesus in the life of people, this ability to kind of help to tease out where the hope is, where we may have been too busy to have seen it. And as I continued to think about it, what I realized was this, of course, this did not happen in spite of the fact that he took this big risk by moving to Denver. It did not happen in spite of the fact that this ministry, in one sense you could say, I wouldn't want to say it, but you could say, well, it didn't fail, at least it failed. It didn't work out exactly as he had wanted. It didn't happen in spite of the fact that he was willing to risk everything, including his own retirement. It didn't happen in spite of any of those things, of course. It happened because of his willingness to do that. And see, one of the things that we can never forget 
is that it is our experiences, our waiting, our sacrificing, our cost. It is through all of those things as we follow Jesus, our confession, that then puts us in a position to bring change, not just to ourselves, but to others, to bring hope and life into the lives of others. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Maybe it's just me, but you've been around somebody. Maybe they were a spiritual guru. Maybe they're a pastor. Maybe they're just a counselor or somebody you know, and, and you're kind of wanting hope. You know, and you're in, a, you're in a dark place and you talk to them and they, they say all the right things, but you can just, for some reason, it doesn't do anything for you. Well, I'd like to suggest that more often than not, probably the reason for that is because they haven't actually lived it. You see, the people who are able to see Jesus in the life of one another, the people who are able to breathe hope when others are in darkness are those who have been willing to actually walk the journey, those who have willingly confessed again and again, those who have been willing to sacrifice, those who have been willing to be vulnerable and to risk. It is those from whom, whether younger or older, it is those who have experienced Jesus firsthand who can begin to see Jesus so well in the lives of others and begin to bring them hope. Sisters and brothers, what I want you to know is this. If you are feeling called to confess, confess. It will be painful. But walk toward the light. If you feel like you are in a place where God is calling you to wait, but you are growing weary of waiting, keep waiting. You're in a place where you're wondering, is this what God is calling me to sacrifice? Then let me encourage you to consider simply sacrificing. Keep walking forward. Because in there, there will be these remarkable opportunities like Anna and Simeon that you have to speak hope and grace and light and life into a world that has confused Hallmark with true hope. May we be that community. May it be so. Amen? Amen. This morning, sisters and brothers, before we do communion, I'm going to invite us to just be still. And I'm going to pray a prayer of confession over all of us. Perhaps you need it, perhaps you don't. But my guess is that most of us, certainly myself, need to listen to these words and to acknowledge our dependence on the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So with that, let us pray. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed, and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. And with that, let us be still, that God may hear our hearts even now.
Amen. Sisters and brothers in Christ, hear the good news of the gospel. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Behold, the old life has gone and a new life has begun. May we know that we are forgiven. May we walk toward the light. May we be a people of peace and hope. Amen? Amen.